Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be finishing the book of Mark today. You did it. Great job. Uh, We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, as well as Psalm, chapter 67. One more time, Mark, chapter 16, Psalm, chapter 67. Now, as you're turning there, the current events of our world dictates to us that the Word of God is absolutely correct. We're living In the last days. And John let us know in these last days that the spirit of the Antichrist would be in the world. Now, let me explain what that means. The word anti means against or counterfeit. So, anything that Jesus is for, the spirit of this age is going to be against. And I want to let you know that the Jewish nation is the apple of God's eye. And that's why the ruler of this world wants them destroyed. It's the same spirit that existed when the Jews were coming out of Egypt. And there, Amalek wanted to destroy the Jews. Much later in Jewish history would be Haman. The Jews were there living in the Persian Empire, and Haman wanted to destroy all of the Jews. Thank God that Esther was placed in the king's palace and saved the entire Jewish nation. And then it would only be in the 20th century that we would see this same spirit of the Antichrist in Hitler who wanted to destroy all of the Jews in the European world. This same spirit is the spirit that's in Hamas. It's the spirit that is in Hezbollah. It is the spirit that is in the Ayatollah of Iran. There is not a desire to generate a two-state geography. There is a desire for the annihilation of all of the Jews. This is why on October 7th, Hamas went into Israel and slaughtered 1,400 Israelis. That would be like someone invading San Pedro and destroying the 34,000 people that are in the entire city. Understand the impact. And now we're seeing the world rise up against the Jewish nation just like the scriptures told us that it would. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. But the spirit of the church is much different. We have the spirit of Christ. It's exactly the opposite of what the Antichrist wants. We have the heart of Jesus Christ. And can I let you know, all the way back in the book of Genesis, God made a forever covenant with the Jewish nation. In Genesis chapter 17, he makes it very clear this is an everlasting covenant. So Paul reminds the church in Romans 11, when he asks the question, have I rejected, has God rejected the Jewish nation? The response is absolutely not. The church has not replaced Israel. We have been very gratefully grafted in to the family of God. And now our job as the church 
We are to make the Jewish nation jealous with our relationship with the Lord. And I need to express, our job as well as a ministry is to minister to the nation. I want to read something for you. Jesus is speaking to the sheep. During the seven-year tribulation, he is speaking to the sheep, those on his right-hand side, those that are going to inherit an eternal destiny with God. He says this in Matthew 25, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to the one of the least of these, my brethren, the Jewish nation, you did it to me. He's blessing them with eternal, eternality because they chose to be a blessing to the Israeli nation. Jesus is not done with the nation of Israel. In fact, in the end times, during the seven-year tribulation, we know at the second coming that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit of grace. He's going to save the Jewish nation, and they're going to look at the one that they pierce, the Bible says in Zechariah, and they are going to have a revival in Israel. Now, let me tell you what that means. Israel ain't going anywhere. Let me tell you, they're in the end times. No one can wipe them out. In fact, God made it very clear, if you bless the nation of Israel, God will bless you. If you curse the nation of Israel, God will curse you. Hamas, Hezbollah, make no, sh- make no shadow of a doubt, with the Iranian government are terrorist regimes that have the spirit of the Antichrist. They're not looking for two states, they're looking for the final solution. It's the new Nazi. They don't just want the land, they want the Jews gone. Hearing the stories of those survivors, when on October 7th, Hamas came in and killed 1,400 Jewish people, it's worse than what you ever heard during World War II. Something we thought would never, ever happen again. But I want to remind you, it was God that gave the land to the Jewish nation. And our job as the church is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's our job. This is not political. It's spiritual. And we've got a job to pray now more than ever in these last days. So as I pray, would you please pray along with me and let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Our Father, I do come before you and we pray like you've asked us for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, Lord, for the lives of every Israeli and Palestinian. We pray, God, that you would save lives. We want, we want people to have one more day to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're saying, come, Jesus, come. Because we know that you are the Prince of Peace. And so, Lord, I'm asking humbly, would you intervene in this situation and miraculously deliver this from us from this trial? I pray for the United States of America. I ask, God, that you would have mercy on us and protect us. And, Lord, I pray that we would be busy about your work, especially as we learn Mark chapter 16. In Jesus' name we all said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you know this about me. I used to love the Indiana Jones movies. Do you remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Now, you may be disappointed with the latest one that came out. 
But the first three are absolutely filled with adventure. And that's why I love these movies. I just love adventure. In fact, do you remember your first adventure? Do you remember your mom gave you two bucks and you had your little Schwinn bicycle? And for the very first time, she was going to let you hop on that bright red Schwinn bicycle and going to let you just ride your bike all the way to 7-Eleven and gave you $2 so that you could walk in and buy your little Slurpee. What an adventure that was. Or remember when you had your first date and maybe that was your first adventure. And you pulled up in your 1965 convertible Mustang and you went to go knock on the door and your heart is just pounding like this. She's on the other side of the door and she can't wait for her adventure and her heart is pounding and you didn't even knock on the door and she opened, hey, how are you? Are you ready for an adventure? Do you remember? Do you remember when you bought your first house and it was such an adventure until it became the money pit? You see... Some of us remember all kinds of ventures. And I wonder if some of your adventures were a little illegal. (laughs) Oh, I understand. Growing up on the islands, I confessed this in front of my mother in just the very last service. You see, my cousin and I, we wanted to go fishing, but we didn't have any hooks and we didn't have a line. So we made a plan that huge adventure... We made a plan that we would go in, I would feign sickness in front of the cash register, and the dock master would come up to me and take care of me, and then all the while, my cousin was stealing hooks and lines in the back. And so there I was, I walked right up to the cash register, and I went, and the dock master came out and said, are you okay? And all the while, I'm looking at my cousin, who's putting hooks and line in his pocket, and I'm like, oh. And as soon as he was done and walked out, oh, suddenly I felt all the way better and I just walked out. Now, I'm all of like seven, eight years old, but I felt so guilty that we stole the hooks in the line. At the end of the day, after we finished fishing, I untied everything and we put the, I went back in, I feigned sickness, my cousin went to the back and was putting the hooks and the line back in. As I'm going, like this, the dock master came up to me and went, do you think I'm falling for this? Because I know exactly what's going on. You see, adventure. And I wonder what adventure you had. But some of us, some of us prefer not to, uh, not to have any adventure. We prefer to hear the stories of other people's adventure. And I remember at 11 years old, Asian missionaries walked into my home. They were, oh, probably over 70 years old, close to 80, and they were telling stories about how they smuggled Bibles into China. And when I listened to these stories, I knew I wanted that life. I didn't want to go to church. I wanted to be the church. I wanted to have that kind of faith, and I really desired to have an adventure with God. And so only two summers later, at 13 years old, I was off to Korea. My mom sent me off with the mission team by myself. I was off to Korea, into Hong Kong, and then smuggled my first Bibles into China. 13 years old, I wanted my adventure. Then at 14 years old... Back again in the summer, I'm off to Liberia, West Africa for the first time because I wanted an adventure with God. And like I said, I didn't want to simply go to church. I wanted to be the church. Now, that's my story. And you're like, great, I'm glad that's your story. 
But I need to let you know something. Each of us are called to an adventure with the Lord. In fact, adventures with Jesus are not a suggestion in Scripture. They're a direction in Scripture. Take a look at Mark chapter 16. Let's take a look at this adventure. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, now that's an important word, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world? What? An adventure. A worldwide adventure. Now, if you think to yourself, I can't do this. Let's look at the them that he said this to. Just go up a verse. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Take a look. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. That's the them. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them. So he said to a group of guys that were struggling in their faith, you go into all the world. Now you might say, yeah, they struggled at the resurrection, but they did so much better over the 40 days until Jesus ascended. Not really. Take a look at Matthew chapter 28. Jesus is there. He's about to ascend in Bethany. And the Bible says when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. It's to them that he said, the ones struggling in faith, the ones that were doubting, you go into all the world and preach the gospel. And can I tell you, if Jesus used them, he can use you and me. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved, a day, a week, a month, decades, Jesus is directing each one of us, go on your adventure into all the world, especially into your world. Let me tell you why. You see, Jesus directed the disciples to go into all the world because he had a ministry. And now that ministry is in you. Do you remember in Mark's gospel, we talked about this, that Jesus came, the Son of Man came, to seek and to save the lost. That was his ministry, to seek and to save the lost. Now, let me go all the way back to the book of Genesis to help you understand this. Do you remember, there's Adam and Eve, and they sinned. So they decide to go get the latest Gucci and put fig leaves all over them. Then they hide. Well, the Bible says that God came walking in the cool of the garden and he said this, where are you? Where are you, sinners? I'm looking for you. Do you know, years later, Jesus is still asking that question. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's asking in the world, where are you, sinners? And his spirit is in you. And it's the adventure that he wants you to have of walking into your world asking the same question, where are you? Where are the sinners at work? Well, some sinners in the 21st century, you know they're sinners. All you got to do is just listen to how they talk and there's a sinner. But some sinners, oh, they look good and sweet and kind. And Oh, let me tell you, whether they're good or bad, they all need to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ that he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, this commandment is not new with Jesus. It was the commandment of God to the Jewish nation. In Psalm 96, verse 3, the Bible makes it clear, declare his glory among the nations. 
his wonders among all peoples. It was the Jewish nation's job to communicate God to the world. And now Jesus is simply reiterating what God the Father had already spoken to his people. Now Jesus is speaking it to the church. Take a look. I've asked you to turn there. Go with me to Psalm 67. We'll see it even clearer there. Psalm chapter 67. Keep your finger in Mark chapter 15. Psalm chapter 67, take a look at the prayer of the psalmist. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Do you hear the prayer of the psalmist? The prayer of the psalmist is that the Lord would bless them with an opportunity to share God's salvation on the earth. That was his prayer in the morning. He woke up in the morning and said, Lord, help me to find where they are. Give me an opportunity to be able to share God's salvation with the world. Lord, bless me with an opportunity to tell someone because I want your face to shine upon me. Now, let me tell you what this means. Do you remember when your kids were young and they hadn't taken their first step yet? And mom's on one side and there's dad holding little Johnny, okay? And little Johnny, well... You remember when they would begin their first steps and they're kind of like, look like they've had a little bit too much the night. It's like, it's like, okay, no, Johnny, I'm going to hold on to you. You can do this. And mom's on the other side of little Johnny go, come on, Johnny, come on, Johnny, you can, you remember, you, you know, the faces we make with babies. It's a good thing. They don't put them on video. So it's like the mom is going, come on, come on. And you're the dad and you're holding the kid and you're like, come on, Johnny, you can do it. And there's just so much joy and so much gladness. And then all of a sudden you let go and little Johnny takes a step and everybody goes, yeah, Johnny falls, but he takes his first step. And the parents are just so excited as they shine their face upon him. You see, when we do what Jesus is asking us to do and go and tell The father goes, oh, there goes little Johnny. He's about to take his first step of faith. He's going to tell someone. He's going to tell someone about Jesus. And there's so much joy. There's so much gladness in the father's heart when we do what he's asking us to do. Here's the reason why. Take a look at verse 3, Psalm chapter 67. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God's desire is that everyone in the world comes to church and gives him praise for their salvation. That's God's desire. Because we've been made to worship. We were created to worship. And God knows something about us, that when we're doing what we were made for, when we're operating correctly, there's going to be gladness and there's going to be joy in our hearts. When we are fulfilling what we've been created for, we ourselves are going to be fulfilled. And God wants everyone in the world to have this kind of fulfillment. 
So the psalmist wakes up in the morning and says, who can I tell today? I want to go tell someone. I want them to realize their full human potential as they come to church and praise you for their salvation. Now, take a look at verse 6. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Now, what you need to know is that the psalmist is speaking about the millennial kingdom. When Jesus Christ will reign for a thousand years, there's going to be abundance on the earth when Jesus is leading the earth. And the whole world, the Bible says, is going to worship Jesus. The Bible also says something about this millennial kingdom. The Bible says the desert's going to bloom. The wolf will lay down the lamb, will lay down with the lamb. The child will play with the cobra and you are going to have the most incredible abundance in your life. But church, we don't have to wait for that physical kingdom to know that kind of abundance. Today, you can allow Jesus to be your leader and do what he's called us to do, and you will find yourself completely satisfied as he fulfill your life. Now, let me express what that means. When mission trips come home, I'm always excited to hear their stories. Oh, Pastor Chet, Pastor Dennis dropped us in the city center, and he said, go find someone that needs Jesus. And so we walked in the grocery store, and right there in front of the tomatoes, someone gave their life to Christ. It was so exciting. I can't tell you how good it feels. And I always said, now go to McDonald's in San Pedro and do the same thing. Oh. I don't know if I can do it here. I mean, I can do it in the Philippines, but I can't do it here. Do you know that the people in McDonald's and San Pedro need Jesus as much as the people in Philippines? You see, the truth of it is we've been called to go and tell. And we've been called to go and tell, the Bible says, every creature. We can't pick and choose who we tell. The gospel is for everyone to hear and choose whether or not they want an eternity with God. God wants to use you in your world to tell others. In fact, another version of the Bible puts it this way. Back in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the Bible says, as you go into your world, tell the gospel to everyone. Remember, you can't pick and choose. And let me tell you why that's important. When Jesus was telling a story about the kingdom in Matthew 22, the first people, the Jewish nation, when he went to them, they refused the invitation. So then Jesus says, I want you to go in the highways and the byways, and I want you to tell everybody. So take a look what Jesus said in the story. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Let me tell you what that means. I know you want to date with the cute little girl in the cubicle next to you, but she's not a Christian. So you really want her saved. And so you're very confident to say, I would love to tell you about Jesus over coffee. Would you like to go with me? Oh, she's the good one, okay? But your boss who you can't stand, who's mean, who's angry, guess what? For God so loved the world that he even forgave Your boss, if your boss will repent, he's the bad one. Now, some of us will go, well, I can, I'll be okay if he spends an eternity somewhere else besides where I'm at. 
No, that's the point. The point is that we are to witness the gospel to everyone in our world. That means not only the person in the cubicle next to you that you like, but also your neighbor that you can't stand. You see, our responsibility is to share. Take a look at Mark chapter 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Hey, church, our responsibility is to share. But what Jesus is pointing out, we have no control over their response. Some will believe and some won't. And some will make a decision to, know, to refuse Christ and spend their eternal destiny separated from Christ. And can I tell you, therein lies the struggle. Therein lies our problem. Because none of us like rejection. We're told to go and tell the gospel, but no one likes to be rejected, and no one likes for people to reject the gospel. I mean, do you remember when you went with your little sign, and you said, will you go to prom with me, and you had all your friends there, and she said no? doesn't feel good. Do you remember when you applied for that job, and you didn't get it? Rejection doesn't feel good. So as human beings, we avoid rejection at all costs. But what Jesus is making very clear is rejection is part of the calling. We are called to plant the seed. Their acceptance of, uh, of allowing that seed to grow is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is simply to go and share. Now, take a look. There will be some who do believe. Go back with me to Mark 16. Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So I want to take a little commercial break for just a moment. And I need to clear up some confusion here about baptism. Because there are those, there are some who believe that you must be saved, you must be, uh, receive Jesus and be baptized in order to be saved. But I want to express to you the doctrine of our faith. Baptism is not essential for salvation, but absolutely essential for obedience. You don't have to do anything to be saved except believe. Scriptures make it very clear that we are saved by faith, not by works. That's it. We confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart, and we shall be saved according to Romans chapter 10. But I need to let you know, even though baptism is not essential for salvation, baptism is absolutely essential for obedience. In other words... When I get saved, I want to do whatever it is that Jesus tells me to do. If he wants to be a generous, me to be a generous giver, I'll be a generous giver. If he wants me to be baptized, I'll be baptized. If he wants me to go the second mile, I'll go the second mile. Whatever it is that Jesus wants me to do. And Jesus said that he wants us to be baptized. That means it's a first step of obedience. That's what we call it. Now, let me tell you. We did a baptism here a couple of weeks ago. People were driving by. They're driving by and they're going, oh, look at the church. They're having a little uh, pool party right there in the parking lot. <laughs> no concept. No desire to be baptized. Think of, what I'm, think of what I'm asking you to do. Just for a moment. Now, I know it makes complete sense to you, but think of this for just a moment. 
Hi, my name is Chet. I've never met you before. I'm about to dunk you underwater. What if I hold you there? Think of what you're doing. And then I'm going to lift you up. The world hears that and goes, that's crazy. But when you come to Christ, you can't wait to meet us in that pool because you now want to be obedient to what Christ has asked you to do. So you want to be baptized because you want to follow in obedience. So baptism is essential for obedience, but it's a work. It's not essential for salvation. But let me tell you about our faith. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. Faith without works means that your faith is non-existent. It doesn't exist. So if you don't want to be baptized, I would ask you, are you in the faith? Now, look at Mark chapter 16 as we go on. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, I want you to take a look at this for just a moment. These signs, there's going to be believers, and these signs will follow those who believe. Mark is not doubting that when you get saved, you want to tell other people about the gospel. And look at the signs. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Some of you are going, okay, didn't know that was in the Bible. Now remember, I told you, this was an adventure. I'll never forget when I was in Liberia at 14 years old. I was walking to the outside bathroom. As I was walking to the outside bathroom, I saw this black, slithering cobra coming out of the bathroom. It must have taken 10 minutes for this thing to get out. It was so long. Now, that's a slight exaggeration, but in my heart, I felt like I stood there. Just imagine, I'm 10 feet away, and I am watching this thick, long, black cobra just slither out of the bathroom. Well, I know this verse. So I saw that snake, and I walked right up to it, and I grabbed it by the tail. I'm just kidding. Of course I didn't do that. I almost peed my pants. I was so terrified. And I'll tell you this. I never walked back into that bathroom again for two months. I found a little place somewhere in the bush, anywhere I could. But I was never going back in that bathroom again. I was absolutely terrified. That summer, let me tell you, was quite an adventure. But I want to let you know what the greatest adventure is. The greatest part of the adventure is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, goes with you. Would you take a look at Mark chapter 17 one more time? And these signs will follow. That's a very important word. That word follow means accompany you side by side. Mark is his own best commentary, and he describes for us what that means. Would you take a look? Mark 16, verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus leaves, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. 
So the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is now working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. The Lord was working with them. You see, this word follows side by side. You've got Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, right next to you when you are going out and doing what he's calling you to do. Let me explain. You see, Jesus promised that when he went to the Father, that he would send the Spirit. So he tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the power that comes from on high. It's Luke chapter 24, verse 49. He says, look, I'm going to the Father. You wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power from on high. There's a reason for that. Has the Spirit of God ever spoke to you to share the gospel with someone and you didn't? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. I was sitting on the plane next to someone, and the Spirit spoke to me. This is years ago. And I got off the plane, and I never said anything. Has that ever happened to anyone, right? Okay. Have you ever been in the middle of sharing the gospel, and, like, you go, I want to tell you about the love of and it's, and it's like, wow, why can't I say Jesus? I sing Jesus all the time in church. But now I'm in front, and I'm doing this thing. And why is this so difficult for me to share the gospel? Because you need the power that goes side by side with the direction. Amen. See, Jesus, in John chapter 14, he said this, And I will pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper. He's a helper. He says he'll be with you, and he'll be in you. We need help. And in that moment, when you don't think you can do it, you just ask God for help. Lord, would you give me some help here? I need some help to be able to do what you're asking me to do. In fact, look what Jesus said in John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. In other words, we're walking side by side, okay? He says, bears much fruit. Say it with me, for without me, you can do nothing. You can't accomplish spiritual things unless you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. We need help to do this kind of work, and Jesus wouldn't give us the direction if he wouldn't give us the power to do it. So when you are called to go and tell, but you're a little nervous, you're a little afraid, in that moment say, Lord, help me. All we have to do is ask, and we get to plug right in to the power source of heaven. Now, church, when you go, this is what the coolest part is. Not only is he walking with you side by side, but he's with you. And when Jesus is with you, supernatural things happen. The Bible called them signs. Now, if I'm, if I'm driving down the 405, and I see a sign, and it's the road that I want to get off on, that sign points me in a direction to take the exit. That's what signs do. The signs that Jesus gives us points everyone to heaven. So I want us to take a look at these signs that he promises us. Would you look at verse 17? In my name, the powerful name of Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit, they will cast out demons. Hey, church, there is going to be spiritual warfare when you go and tell. There's going to be spiritual warfare. 
You think the enemy is just going to let you walk right into his camp and not wreak havoc in your life? You think he's just going to let you pull someone that's in darkness into light and be happy about it? But I need you to be reminded of something because I think this is what makes some of us afraid. We don't want to engage in spiritual warfare, but Jesus makes it very clear in my name. You got my power behind you. They will cast out demons. In other words, you've got the victory. Live in it. You've got the victory. Just live in the fact that Jesus Christ has the power to make you win that spiritual victory. Now, I know that the devil comes across like a roaring lion, right? He just comes on you like this. And it's the lion. He's going to devour me. Can I give you the perspective of heaven? When the devil, you hear, the perspective of God, he hears this. Do you understand? God hears a little kitten. You might hear the lion, but Jesus operates in the victory and gives you the same power to operate in that victory. Listen to what Jesus said. Peter makes his big proclamation. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus responds and he says this, and I also say to you that you're Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You need to understand what this means because sometimes Christians take this like, oh, I'm being spiritual attacked. I'm getting beat up. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is here's the gates of hell and here's the church. We're like a mob. And the church, when they get to the gates of hell, the gates of hell cannot prevail. They can't hold up against the power of the name of Jesus. So when you walk into going and telling, know that you have the victory. Jesus is on your side. But let me tell you something else. The Bible says, in my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Tongues is a gift of the Spirit. And what Jesus is letting us know is that God has given every believer a gift to help you witness the resurrection of Jesus to others. Each one of you have been given a gift to accomplish the task of going and telling. I'm going to prove it to you. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, he didn't leave any one of you out, To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's give. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Do you know what that means? Every one of you has at least one gift. Every single one of you at least has one gift. Well, I don't know what my gift is. Let me give you a secret. The way that you can discover your gift is start sharing the gospel and start serving in the church. You'll discover your gift. Let me explain. Let's say you want to join the choir. You think you got the gift of singing. So you go, you'd audition my wife, and my wife looks at you, bless your little heart. The choir is not for you. You know that's not your gift, okay? You know, like, okay, choir's out. So she goes, why don't you go meet with Pastor Nacho, and why don't you be a part of Kid Life? Well, you go to Kid Life, and a month into it, Pastor Nacho comes up to you and goes, "Uh, hey, dude, 
you're really mean to the kids. So I think that children's ministry is just not your gift. So I think you just need to, God bless you, bless your little heart. You just need to keep going. So then you make a decision. All right, I got to find out what my gift is. So you decide I'm going to meet with Pastor Steph. And Pastor Steph looks at you and says, all right, I'm going to put you in hospitality. I'm going to make you be a greeter. And you're there at the front door. Well, hey, how are you? God bless you. Oh, you look great today. So glad you're here. Welcome home. Thank God for you. And all of a sudden you realize, I'm not supposed to be in the choir. I'm not supposed to be in kid life. I'm a greeter. I have the gift of hospitality. By sharing and serving, you'll discover your gift. I believe I've got the gift of teaching. And let me tell you, my gift is not for myself. It's for the profit of all. So I don't wake up on Sunday morning and go, Chet, open your Bible to Mark chapter 16. No, my gift has been given for everyone in the body. And you know why the Bible calls it a gift? Because God favors us with a piece of his character that he gets that we get to have and to hold as our own. You see, in Jesus Christ, he had all the gifts. And we're the body of Christ. And so each one of us have been given a gift. We get a piece of the character of God to be able to share with the world what a gift that a little bit of God is in me. What a gift that God has given us. And that's why Paul... He wrote Timothy and he said, listen, you're part of the body of Christ. You need to fan the flame of your gift. Because if a part of the body is not operating properly, then the whole body has got a problem. So one of the signs is you're going to have a spiritual gift. You're going to have spiritual warfare, but take a look at the next. Verse 17. Verse 18. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Have no fear. The rattlesnakes will not be coming down the aisle. Now I know there are sects in Christianity where they will actually hold rattlesnakes. They didn't exist for too long because they all died. Let me explain. I told you this was going to be an adventure. And what Jesus is saying, we get to operate in the supernatural. We get to be like superheroes on the earth. Do you remember the Apostle Paul? He's on the ship for 14 days. He's in the middle of a hurricane, a a, a monsoon. The ship gets blown apart. It hits a rock and it just begins to fall apart. So they all jump over the ship. They swim to shore on boards. They get to the beach. And after 14 days of not eating, the Apostle Paul picks up some sticks and he walks over to the fire to warm everybody else. And there's a snake inside the sticks. Now, if you don't know this, snakes are warm or cold-blooded. So the snake was probably looked like a stick because it was frozen. And so he's going to put the uh, sticks in the fire. This snake realizes, my goodness, they're about to burn me. So he jumps onto Paul's arm and latches on. 
when the islanders see this, they say, Paul must have been a murderer. And now he's going to die by a snake bite. You know what Paul did? He shook it off. He went right back to the sticks. He picked them up and he put more sticks on. So all the islanders go, tell us about Jesus. Pointed them straight to God. Now that's Paul's story. You've heard some of my stories. I got a question. What's your story? What's your supernatural story? Because it's important for us to note in the Bible that not all of the disciples experienced what Mark writes here. But all of them experienced something supernatural. Let me tell you Peter's story. Peter, he's in jail. And there he is in jail. They're going to kill him the next day. They just beheaded James. And an angel comes in the jail cell. Hey, Peter, wake up. You know what the Bible says? The angel kicked him. Peter, wake up. Grabs him by the arm, carries him outside because Peter was doing what Jesus asked him to do. He was telling others about Christ and he got to live the supernatural. We get to operate in the supernatural. It may not be their story, but you will have a story. So I have a question for you. Who's up for an adventure? Who's up for an adventure? Okay, there's about 500 of you that did not clap. (laughs) Who's up for an adventure? (laughs) You see, I asked that question for a reason. Because it comes off like a question, but it actually isn't. It's a direction. We don't get a choice. Jesus said, it's time to go. And the Lord promises to go with you. He's not going to leave you as an orphan. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, so they went and they preached. They took him seriously. And I wonder if you're willing to do the same. Who's up for an adventure? Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for you and your word. So grateful for the goodness that you have given to us, that you came and you died for us. And we get to come to church and praise you for what you did for us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church. My responsibility is to tell you the truth. And I want to let you know the people that are moving are, they're moving to serve you. So they're getting ready to go. But I would ask everyone else, would you just allow this to be a holy moment? You need help. There's no way for you to get to heaven. You can't work your way there. Even if you were to bless the church with a multi-million dollar gift, that still won't make you to heaven. You can't pay to get there. Jesus paid the price. 
He did all the hard work so that all you would have to do is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's the truth of Scripture. He knew there was no way for you to get to heaven and you needed help. When you might say, well, I don't believe in heaven. Why? Because someone from earth who's never been to heaven told you there is no heaven, but yet Jesus who came from heaven knows the way to get there and then he tells you this is the way? Why would you believe someone from earth who's never been there? So Jesus knew that you would need help to get to heaven. So he came and he died for you. Look, you've tried it your way. Did it work? And is it quite possible that Jesus brought you here today because he's got this message for you? I love you. I died for you. And I want to help you get to heaven. But the beautiful thing about Jesus, he doesn't just help us get to heaven. He helps us turn our whole life around to give us abundant life. It's just what Jesus does. He changes families. He changes you. And he may not change your situation, but he'll change the way you look at it. That's what Jesus does. And I wonder, just like all of our services, is there someone here that needs some help to get to heaven? You need to leave here this, this afternoon knowing that if anything happened to you, that you would go to heaven. So let me tell you something. 1,400 people were asleep in their beds on October 7th. They had no idea they were about to face their eternal destiny because none of us know when. But today is your day of salvation. If you would choose to believe today, he'll help you get to heaven. So I'm going to ask you to be really brave because Jesus called all of his disciples publicly. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, just like many people in the 8.30 and the 10.30, if you want to know Jesus, you get up out of your seat. You come forward and say, I want Jesus today. I want to know that I have the help of heaven in this life and the life to come. It's time for me to change my life around. If you're married and you know that you and your spouse need Jesus, you get up out of your seat and you say, listen, Today our marriage turns around. Our family turns around. We're giving our lives to the Lord. So as Gannon sings this song, you be in prayer. Church, be in prayer. This is a holy moment. Because people's eternity are in the balance. If that's you and you feel your heart pounding out of your chest, you be the first. Get up out of your seat and I'll meet you right here. And know that you know you have the help of heaven to get to heaven. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.